Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. On today's episode, we'll go over the topic of vaccines from the infectious disease section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with a clinical snapshot. A 54-year-old man presents to a primary care physician for a worsening productive cough. His cough began approximately two months ago, and over the past week, he has been producing more yellow sputum. Medical history is significant for chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. He drinks occasionally and smokes one pack per day for the past 35 years. The patient is started on broad-spectrum antibiotics and receives 23-valent pneumococcal polysaccharide vaccine, or PPSV23, due to his current cigarette use and chronic lung disease. Now, let's get into the episode. As a quick introduction, vaccines are defined as an effective preventative health measure of disease. As far as terminology, a live attenuated vaccine is when microorganism pathogenicity is lost but can still induce a cellular and humoral response. In the setting of a killed or inactivated vaccine, the pathogen is inactivated but the epitope structure is maintained, inducing a humoral response. In a subunit vaccine, this contains only that antigen that stimulates the immune system best. And finally, in the setting of a toxoid vaccine, this involves a bacterial toxoid with an intact receptor binding site. Now, let's go over vaccinations in children, which are defined as 0 to 6 years of age. We'll go over the hepatitis B vaccine, the rotavirus vaccine, diphtheria, tetanus, and or pertussis, haemophilus influenzae type B conjugate, pneumococcal conjugate or PCV13, poliovirus, influenza, measles, mumps, and rubella, varicella, and hepatitis A. Starting with hepatitis B, in terms of age, the first dose is within the first 24 hours of life. The second dose is at 1 to 2 months of age, and the third dose is at 6 to 18 months of age. Some important comments to mention is that hepatitis B is a subunit vaccine, and in hepatitis B antigen-positive mothers, the infant should receive the hepatitis B vaccine and hepatitis B immune globulin. Moving on to rotavirus, in terms of age, the first dose is at 2 months, the second dose is at 4 months, and the third dose is at 6 months. Some important comments to mention about rotavirus is that it is a live attenuated vaccine and can actually increase the risk for intussusception. Moving on to diphtheria, tetanus, and or pertussis, as far as age, the first dose is at 2 months, the second dose is at 4 months, the third dose is at 6 months, the fourth dose is at 15 to 18 months, and the fifth dose is at 4 to 6 years of age. Booster doses are given starting at 11 years of age. And remember that diphtheria, tetanus, and or pertussis are inactivated vaccines. Moving on to haemophilus influenzae type B conjugate vaccines, as far as age, the first dose is given at 2 months, the second dose is at 4 months, and the third dose is at 12 to 15 months. This is also an inactivated vaccine. Moving on to the pneumococcal conjugate or PCV13 vaccine, as far as age, the first dose is given at 2 months, the second dose at 4 months, the third dose at 6 months, and the fourth dose at 12 to 15 months. The pneumococcal conjugate or PCV13 is also an inactivated vaccine. Moving on to poliovirus, as far as age, the first dose is given at 2 months, the second dose at 4 months, the third dose at 6 to 18 months, and the fourth dose at 4 to 6 years. This is also an inactivated vaccine. Moving on to the influenza vaccine, this is given annually in patients greater than or equal to six months of age. The intramuscular vaccine is an inactivated vaccine, while the intranasal vaccine is a live attenuated vaccine. In terms of measles, mumps, and rubella, the first dose is at 12 to 15 months, and the second dose is at four to six years of age. The measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, or MMR, is a live attenuated vaccine. 
Moving on to varicella, the first dose is given at 12 to 15 months, while the second dose is at 4 to 6 years of age. This is a live attenuated vaccine. And finally, as far as the hepatitis A vaccine, the first dose is given at 12 to 24 months, and the second dose is given at least six months after the first dose. The hepatitis A vaccine is an inactivated vaccine. Moving on to vaccinations in adolescents, which are defined as 7 to 18 years of age, we'll go over the tetanus, diphtheria, and acellular pertussis or Tdap vaccine, the human papillomavirus vaccine, the meningococcal vaccine, and the influenza vaccine. So starting with tetanus, diphtheria, and acellular pertussis, or Tdap, as far as age, this is given at 11 to 12 years of age, and this is an inactivated vaccine. Moving on to the human papillomavirus, as far as age, two doses are given at 9 to 14 years of age, and know that in patients between the ages of 9 to 14, the two doses are administered 6 to 12 months after the first dose. Also know that three doses are given in patients greater than or equal to 15 years of age. This is given at 0, 1 to 2, and 6 months. The human papillomavirus is a subunit vaccine, and three doses of this vaccine are also recommended in immunocompromised adolescent patients. Moving on to the meningococcal vaccine, the first dose is given at 11 to 12 years of age, and the second dose at 16 years of age. The meningococcal vaccine is an inactivated vaccine. Finally, moving on to the influenza vaccine, the first dose is given at 7 to 10 years of age, and then annually. Again, remember that the intramuscular influenza vaccine is an inactivated vaccine, while the intranasal vaccine is a live attenuated vaccine. Moving on to vaccinations in adults, which is defined as greater than 18 years of age, let's go over the influenza vaccine, the tetanus, diphtheria, acellular pertussis, or Tdap, or the tetanus and diphtheria vaccine, the varicella vaccine, the zoster vaccine, and the pneumococcal, or PPSV23 vaccine. So starting with influenza, one dose is given annually. This is an inactivated vaccine. Again, remember that an intramuscular influenza vaccine is an inactivated vaccine, and an intranasal vaccine is a live attenuated vaccine. Moving on to tetanus, diphtheria, acellular pertussis, or Tdap, or a tetanus and diphtheria, or TD vaccine, typically one dose of Tdap is given, and then a TD booster every 10 years. Keep in mind that in pregnant women, one dose of Tdap should be given during each pregnancy between 27 to 36 weeks gestation. Moving on to the varicella vaccine, two doses are given four to eight weeks apart if the patient is without immunity to varicella. Moving on to the zoster vaccine, two doses are given two to six months apart at greater than or equal to 50 years of age. Finally, moving on to the pneumococcal or PPSV23 vaccine, this is given at least one year after PCV13 administration in adults greater than or equal to 65 years of age. PPSV23 is indicated in patients 19 to 64 years of age with the following, chronic heart disease excluding hypertension, chronic liver disease, chronic lung disease, diabetes mellitus, and cigarette smoking. It's also indicated in patients greater than or equal to 19 with immunodeficiency disorders, HIV, anatomical or functional asplenia, chronic renal failure or nephrotic syndrome, cerebrospinal fluid leak, or cochlear implant. Some important comments to mention is that PPSV23 is given after PCV13, and PPSV23 is not conjugated and does not stimulate a helper T-cell response. Now, let's end this review session talking about some special circumstances. We'll go over splenectomy, HIV, patients with an egg allergy, patients that are pregnant, and prematurity. So in the setting of splenectomy, patients should receive vaccines to protect against encapsulated organisms, such as streptococcus pneumoniae or pneumococcus, 
Haemophilus influenzae, and Neisseria meningitidis, or meningococcus. In terms of vaccine regimen, PCV13 is followed by PPSV23 greater than or equal to 8 weeks later. Splenectomy patients should also get the Haemophilus influenzae type B vaccine and the meningococcus vaccine. Finally, as far as antibiotic prophylaxis in splenectomy patients, most children with anatomic or functional asplenia slash hyposplenism are given antibiotic prophylaxis with penicillin V or amoxicillin until the age of 5 for at least one year post-splenectomy. Moving on to HIV, inactivated vaccines are generally safe in this patient population. Live attenuated vaccines can be given in this patient population when their CD4-positive T-cell count is greater than or equal to 200 cells per microliter. In the setting of patients with an egg allergy, these patients can receive the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, but cannot receive the yellow fever vaccine. Moving on to pregnancy, live vaccines are generally avoided in pregnancy. Other vaccines to be avoided include the human papillomavirus vaccine, the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, the zoster vaccine, and the varicella vaccine. However, you can give post-exposure prophylaxis via varicella immune globulin, or VZIG, within 10 days of exposure to varicella to confer passive immunity. And finally, in terms of prematurity, there is no need to delay vaccination schedule based on prematurity. One exception, however, is that the first dose of the hepatitis B vaccine, which is typically given in the first 24 to 48 hours of life, can be delayed only if the infant is born with a birth weight of under 4 pounds 6 ounces. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 12-year-old boy presents to his pediatrician for a well-child visit prior to starting 7th grade. His medical history is notable for chickenpox and bronchitis in early childhood and severe peanut and egg allergies. At his last visit two years ago, he was up-to-date on all appropriate vaccinations, excluding those which were medically contraindicated. He also received one dose of the human papillomavirus vaccine three months ago as part of a health campaign at school. Today, he reports feeling well and denies any complaints. Which of the following vaccines is indicated at this time for primary prevention of infectious disease? And the choices are 1. Haemophilus influenza type B vaccine. 2. Human papillomavirus vaccine. 3. Meningococcal vaccine. 4. Pneumococcal polysaccharide vaccine or PPSV23 and 5. Varicella zoster vaccine. The correct answer to this question is 3. Meningococcal vaccine. So this 12-year-old boy should receive the meningococcal conjugate vaccine, which is routinely given at age 11 to 12 years, with a booster at 16 years. The bacterium Neisseria meningitidis causes meningococcal meningitis, which is a severe and often rapidly fatal illness that often affects otherwise healthy adolescents and adults, causing epidemics in densely populated living spaces such as college dormitories or military barracks. The initial presentation is often nonspecific, but classic meningitis symptoms of fever, headache, and nuchal pain and rigidity rapidly follow. Meningococcemia, for example bacteremia, may also develop with diffuse petechial rash and or organ failure. Both forms of illness are treated with IV antibiotics, usually ceftriaxone, but can be prevented with routine vaccination. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, the Haemophilus influenza type B vaccine, which protects against the most virulent type of Haemophilus influenza, that is type B and the most likely to cause meningitis and epiglottitis, is given four times in infancy, at ages 2, 4, 6, and 12 to 15 months. This patient has presumably already been vaccinated. There is no vaccine against other haemophilus influenza types, which commonly cause non-invasive mucosal infections, 
such as otitis media, sinusitis, and pneumonia. Answer 2, the human papillomavirus, or HPV, vaccine, is given twice at age 11 to 12 years to help prevent HPV, which is a sexually transmitted virus with strains that cause cervical and less often penile or oropharyngeal cancer and strains that cause papillomas or warts. This patient has already received the first HPV vaccine and should receive the second dose six months later, or three months from now. Answer 4, the pneumococcal polysaccharide vaccine, or PPSV23, along with the pneumococcal conjugate vaccine, or PCV13, helps protect against invasive infection with the bacterium Streptococcus pneumoniae. PPSV23 is recommended for all adults greater than 65 years old, as well as children and adolescents with predisposing conditions such as immunocompromising conditions or asplenia, none of which are present in this patient. And finally, answer 5, the varicella zoster vaccine is given twice, at age 12 to 15 months and again at 4 to 6 years, to prevent primary varicella zoster infection, like chickenpox, which is characterized by diffuse pruritic vesicular rash, and its complications. Patients who have had chickenpox, such as this patient, develop immunity, do not require this vaccine, though they should receive the herpes zoster vaccine at age 60 to prevent reactivation of the virus later, for example, shingles. To leave you with a bullet summary, the meningococcal vaccine, which is a conjugated vaccine against Neisseria meningitidis, should first be given to all children aged 11 to 12 years with a booster at age 16 to help prevent meningococcal meningitis and meningococcemia. And moving on to the final question. A 32-year-old G2P1 woman at 26 weeks gestation presents to her obstetrician for a routine visit. She has been receiving routine prenatal care since she found out she was pregnant at 5 weeks gestation. She has had one prior uncomplicated vaginal delivery. On exam, her temperature is 98.9 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.2 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 130 over 89 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 98 per minute and respirations are 12 per minute. During the visit, the patient notes that she was babysitting her niece and nephew a few days ago who are homesick from school with a very itchy, erythematous vesicular body rash. What is the most appropriate next step in management of this patient? And the choices are 1. Administer recombinant zoster vaccine. 2. Administer varicella vaccine. 3. Administer varicella zoster virus or VZV immune globulin. 4. Conduct serology for VZV IgG. And 5. Continue with routine prenatal care. The correct answer to this question is 3. Administer varicella zoster virus or VZV immune globulin. So this patient's recent history of close contact with her niece and nephew, who have a rash that is consistent with chickenpox, suggests that she was recently exposed to the varicella zoster virus. Given her recent exposure, she requires post-exposure prophylaxis with varicella zoster immune globulin, or VZIG, to prevent the development of varicella infection in the mother and fetus. VZIG provides passive varicella immunity to the mother in the form of antivaricella antibodies and is safe to give during pregnancy. It is used in individuals who are exposed to varicella and are ineligible for the varicella vaccine or at high risk for severe infection or complications. It is administered as a single dose intramuscularly and must be given within 10 days of exposure. Since 20 to 30% of individuals will still develop varicella infection after immunoprophylaxis, the patient will require monitoring for one month after exposure. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, administering recombinant zoster vaccine is incorrect because it is a live vaccine, contraindicated during pregnancy, and is used in older adults to prevent shingles rather than to protect against varicella exposure. This patient was exposed to varicella through her niece and nephew who have chickenpox, and therefore she needs protection specifically against varicella. 
Answer two, administering the varicella vaccine is contraindicated during pregnancy because it is a live vaccine and can cause congenital varicella syndrome in the fetus. Answer four, conducting serology for VZV IgG would be used to check the patient's immunity status against varicella. However, regardless of the patient's prior vaccination history or immunity status, exposure to varicella during pregnancy needs to be managed with VZIG to prevent infection of the mother and the fetus. And finally, answer five, continuing with routine prenatal care would not protect the patient and her fetus from developing varicella infection. Therefore, the most appropriate next step in management is to administer VZIG. To leave you with the bullet summary, exposure to varicella during pregnancy should be managed with varicella zoster immune globulin, or VZIG, avoiding live vaccines. That's all for this review about vaccines. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast so far, we'd appreciate your consideration in leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast. 